Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. If you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7, I meant to say this earlier and I forgot it while you're turning to your place. Uh, you heard Jeremy talk about kids and you heard Nathan talk about students, but this past Thursday night, Josh, who leads our college and young adult, they did a progressive dinner and they wound up at our house for dessert. And we loved having y'all over, the kids that were there. They had 27 college kids at our house on Thursday night. That's fantastic too. So yeah, yeah, we're, we're trying to make sure we reach that next generation for Christ. And so man, it was a fantastic time on Thursday. Get your family plugged in here at Peavine. Well, Matthew chapter 7. So I started a sermon series uh, back in the summer entitled Jesus Said What? And we, here, here's the deal. The, most of the words in your Bible are in black ink. And that, and that is the inspired, infallible, inerrant, without mistake, can be trusted word of God. There are some words in the New Testament that are in red. And those are the words of Jesus that were written down by his followers under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, those words are no more the Bible than the words in black are, but we like to know what did Jesus say? And so those are in red, but even inside the words in red, in, in the gospels, in Matthew five, six, and seven, there is one particular sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon that rocked the world. It was a paradigm shifter in their day and age there. And even inside that, there's some things we're looking at specifically. So we're looking at what's in red in the Sermon on the Mount. And then we're pulling out the things that were just radical in the day, paradigm shifters for uh, the church or the religious organizations at the time and for people. So we've looked at nip it in the bud, deal with sin before it starts, loving your enemies, prayer, all sorts of things. And so I want to today look at this subject. Now, uh, listen to me carefully. There, I, I look, everybody look right this way. Here's true. I'm just going to lay it on the line to you when I begin. But I, I'm, I'm preaching today primarily to people who are in the church but do not know Jesus. Billy Graham said it was the greatest mission field in the world where the uh, pews or seats in a church. That, that so many people are in church and lost. And Jesus had a word for you. So I want you to know that in this service, I'm going to ask you to do what may be the hardest thing to do in your life. And that's to trust Jesus, even though everybody around you thinks you're already a Christian. We had people in the early service walk the aisle before we, I could ever get the music started in the early service. Because I want you to know the enemy is going to fight every, every tool he has in his tool belt right now. He is bringing it out to stop you from making that decision that God wants you to make. So don't let him get the victory. Don't let him win. Hang in here with me for about 25 minutes and then let's do what you know you ought to do in your heart. So I'm going to preach this subject today, religious ain't saved. It's what Jesus said because he's from the south, right? Matthew 7, religious ain't saved. Hey, before I get there, let me tell you about a guy named Barry Bremen. Barry Bremen became known in the sports world as the great imposter. But Barry Bremen was an insurance and novelty goods salesman known in the sports world as a great imposter. Why? Because from 1979 to 1986, the six-foot-four Bremen posed as, get this, a Major League Baseball umpire in the World Series 
a player in Major League Baseball All-Star Game, a player in the NBA All-Star Game, a referee in the NFL, a professional golfer, an Emmy Award winner, and a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader. Let me tell you how it got started. It got started in February 4th, 1979, where Bremen put on a Kansas City Kings uniform and got onto the floor during pregame warm-ups in an NBA All-Star game at the Pontiac Silverdome. There's video of this. Bremen, he's six foot four. He looks like he fits. He, he got a Kings jersey and he just, he just walked on the floor like he was a basketball player. And he was shooting layups with the basketball team. I watched the video. He just standing in line like it's my turn to shoot a layup next. It was, Otis, it was all-star Otis Birdsong who played for Kansas City, who walked up to him, and here's what he said, and I quote, man, you're on my team, and I don't even know who you is. <laughs> and he outed him. In 1981, he put on an official's jacket during the national anthem prior to game five of the World Champion Series at the Boston Gardens. It was NBA championship at the time. And he put on an official's jacket, and during the national anthem, he just stood on the court like he was a referee. They found him. 1980 World Series, he put on an umpire's uniform, and during the exchange, now we're talking about a World Series, people, during the exchange of lineup cards, he walked to home plate with famous umpire Harry Wendelstadt. And walked to home plate in an umpire's uniform before somebody finally caught him standing at the world's at the home plate. 1979 at the U.S. Open. He snuck in Inverness Club in Toledo, Ohio and played a practice round with Wayne Levi and Jerry Pate. One of the funniest ones is in 1985, he snuck into the Emmy Awards in Pasadena, California. He got a front row seat and when Peter Graves announced the winner for Best Supporting Actress for Hill Street Blues role, Betty Thomas. Bremen jumped up, ran on the stage, and accepted the award on her behalf. He was fined $175. He later apologized. He, quit, he died in his 60s. He quit doing this, he said, because after 2001, uh, security wasn't as lax and you might get shot instead of fined. But the best one ever is December 7th. 16th, 1979. Bremen posed as a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader at a Cowboy Redskins game held at Texas Stadium in Irvine, Texas. He, Irving, Texas. For the role, he lost 23 pounds, practiced routines, cheerleading routines with his wife, had a replica Dallas Cowboy cheerleader uniform, custom made. He shaved his legs and bankrolled the project with $1,200 of his own money. And during the game, he burst in onto the sidelines in boots, hot pants, and a blonde wig and got out one cheer, go Dallas, before security had him hogtied and handcuffed. And here's what he looked like that day. <laughs> I'm dying, man. He's six foot four. And he made it onto the field. They sued him and he lost $5,000 in the lawsuit for trespassing and creating a nuisance. And by the way, the Cowboys banned him for, from games for life. He was the great imposter. 
Here's the thing about Bremen. Bremen was never the real deal. He just always hung around and posed as the real deal. And as funny as that is, can I say to you, it's not so funny when it happens in the church because there are those who are here this morning in this room that you come to church, that you are good people, you're a good person, you serve the church, you, you taught the talk, you know the Bible. I mean, you got the church thing figured out, you got the Christianese figured out, you know all there is to know about church and God and all that, but there is something missing on the inside. That there are people here this morning in this room that you've got it figured out. You've been in church for a long time, and I want to tell you, you may not even you may not even be aware of the depths that you're going to fool even yourself. Because you've got so used to being into the church system, and that's the deal. You know the system, you know how it works, you, you've got it all figured out. But there is something missing on the inside of you, and you know it. You're an imposter, and I don't mean that in a bad or ugly way. I just mean that you're here, you're here. And praise God you're here, but there is just something on the inside, and it worries you from time to time. You struggle with it from time to time, and you're hoping that at the end of your life, it's all going to be okay. But Jesus has a word for you in Matthew chapter 7. So would you stand with me as we honor God's word and read it together? Maybe you have your Bible, digital device, that's all fine. Or maybe if you want to, you can just look on the screen with me. Here's what he said. Beware false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, listen to this. Have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Thank you. You may be seated. So let me tell you where we are. I, I talked about it last week. If you, if you didn't hear the sermon last week, we're closing out the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus in this last run is really in the invitation of the sermon. He is summing up the sermon. He's no longer talking about rubber meets the road where, where the Loving your enemies and prayer, Jesus is out the 30,000 foot view and over the next few passages, he's, he's calling you to choose left or right, right or wrong, God or not God. And so he's in that mode now where he's saying you've got to choose religion or Jesus. So he's in the invitation part. And so when he gets to this invitation, beginning in verse number 15, he starts talking about the, the context of the passage starts talking about in verse 15, false prophets. He says in verse number 15, look at that on the screen, uh, throw that up, but where false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing? He said, there are, there are going to be these people that are traveling evangelists. 
They are traveling prophets. Now, there are some traveling evangelists that are right and they're true disciples of Jesus, but there's going to be others who come around that are traveling evangelists who are not really disciples of Jesus. They'll come in sheep's clothing. They'll, they'll, they'll look right. They'll act right. They'll be humble uh, at, at first. But then what you're going to discover is they are like ravenous wolves. That really, they're, they're probably starting a religion for profit. They're probably starting a religion for gain. They don't really know God. They're in this for themselves. And no doubt someone was thinking or even asked, well, Jesus, how, do we, how are we going to be, be able to tell the difference? And so Jesus begins to tell us the difference between a real disciple and a false disciple. And here's what he said. He said, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Meaning, meaning, you know, a thorn bush does not produce anything that's healthy. A, a thistle does not produce anything that's edible. Me, you don't get good things from bad vines or trees. And he goes on to say it. Every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. And then he flips that on his head. A good tree can't produce ba bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. And so he said, every good tree, every bad tree that uh, does not bear uh, fruit is cut down and it's thrown into the fire. And then he sums it up because here's where you really want to get. Don't get hung up on the agrarian statements of Jesus. This is not a lesson in horticulture. This is not a lesson in fruits and vegetables and vines and trees. That's, that's not the purpose of the lesson. The whole purpose of the lesson is to get down to this verse, verse number 20, where he says this. Therefore, how do we tell the difference between a true disciple of Jesus and someone who's not a disciple of Jesus? Here's what he says. Therefore, it's just this simple. By their fruits, you'll know them. By the works. And so, but Jesus had to go on and explain even more. Because there are some things, times, you can fake being a Christian. And so beginning in verse number 21, Jesus kind of transports us into a view of the end of time and judgment day. This is the heaven-hell judgment. It's what we would call the great white throne judgment. And there are going to be people who say on that day, Lord, Lord, people who claim to know Jesus, but they will not get into heaven. Matter of fact, verse 22 says it'll be many people who claim to have been doing good things. And look at their Christian resume. Now compare it to yours. It's, it's a little sobering, right? Because look at their resume. Look, me and Samuel, Lord, have we not preached or taught the word of God in your name? Wait, pastors? Sunday school teachers? Who's he talking about? There'll be people there who say, Jesus, I've taught the word of God. Not only that, I've cast out demons. I have changed lives. I've got names to prove it. And Jesus, let's just sum it up. I, I've done a lot of amazing things in the name of Jesus. I mean, that's, look, hey, that's a pretty stout Christian resume, right? Like, that's the kind of person that at a funeral, when the body's rolled around, here's, we say stuff like this. Well, if anybody got into heaven, they did. But look at what Jesus said. Then I'll declare to them, 
I never knew you. I didn't have a relationship with you. I don't know who you are. And so depart from me. That is, a, that is an eternal departure in a place called hell. You who were lawless. Literally, you were trying to come up some other way. Those are chilling words from Jesus. It applies to people who are trying to start their own religion for, for profit. But li- listen to this. Out on the grassy lawn that day, the thousands of people, maybe 20, 25,000 people that were listening to the sermon, the thousands of people who were listening to that sermon, it was filled with Pharisees and Sadducees, and they were men and women who believed that their strict adherence to the faith would save them. Men who thought religion would be enough to save them on judgment day. So they had this whole list of rules and regulations. And they thought when you get to judgment day, all of this adherence we've done to our faith, that will save us. And Jesus said, no, it will not because religious ain't saved. So can I I apply that to us today? Because there are people in this building who think that religion can save you. And so can I dispel that myth with the words of Jesus? Let me just say three things he's trying to get into your heart today. Listen, get it in your heart. Number one is this. The fruit reveals the truth. The fruit reveals the truth. See, there are people who love to say that Christianity is a private business, that my faith is a private business. And I get what you're saying when you say that. Basically meaning that your faith is not a, it's not a group decision. Like you're not saved because your grandma was saved or your granddaddy was a preacher or your mama was saved or your daddy, your kids are saved. You're not going to heaven because they were going to heaven. So in effect, you know, we don't come to Jesus in groups. We come to Jesus one-on-one. So in effect, you are, it is a private affair in that you must make a personal private decision in order to trust Jesus. But after that, the private nature of your faith should be over with. The Bible never says that there is such a thing as a secret disciple. If you're a Christian, it isn't meant to be lived out in private. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, we didn't even look at this part of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you're a light of the world. He said, let your good work. Here's what he said in Matthew chapter 5. Let your light shine so shine before men that they may, get this, see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus was saying we should be able to observe your life and look for the evidence of Christ on the inside. We observing your Christian life should see the light. And here's what Jesus was saying, that if you know Christ, there ought to be some visible evidence for you knowing Christ. You ought to have that evidence. Others ought to see that evidence. A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A true Christian produces Christian fruit on the inside and manifests it on the outside. And listen, whatever is on the inside of you is eventually going to work its way outside. The inside always gets out. And so if you're here today and you're not a Christian, listen, what's, what's inside of you, that non-Christian desires, those non-Christian lifestyle, those not, they, they eventually, it comes out, you can't stop it. And if you know Jesus is Savior and the Holy Spirit lives within your heart, the fruit of the Spirit should be coming out of you. Because what's on the inside always gets out. The fruit in your life reveals the truth about whether or not you're really a Christian. 
this story came out a few years ago, 2013. Chinese officials um, had to shut down a zoo because it was determined that visitors discovered the zoo's lion was actually a dog posing as a lion. It was in it's China's third largest province. And when they dug a little deeper, they found out that the zookeepers admitted that the so-called lion was actually a Tibetan mastiff, a large dog with a furry brown coat. But they didn't stop there. They also admitted other zoo animals apparently had been, I quote, mislabeled. There was a white fox in a leopard's den, another random dog being passed off as a wolf, and staff also swapped two snakes in the reptile house with two giant sea cucumbers. They claimed they did have a line at one point, but it was off away at another facility and that an employee had bought the, brought the dog from home and put it in the lion's cage for safety reasons. A spokesperson said, we're doing our best in tough economic times. Do you know how they found out? Well, let me just show you the picture. There's the line. <laughs> And look, people have been paying money all day and saying, honey, look, look at that line over there. See that big mane on that line and that bushy tail? And... Well, it's an African line, so they look different, I guess. Chinese, you know, they like, we've not seen African line in China, so Chinese lines look like this, you know, or African lines look like this. But you know how they figured out a mother and a son were visiting the zoo that, that day? And you know how they figured out it wasn't a line? It barked. The lion barked. Can you imagine walking your little son up to the lion and say, oh, look in there. There's an African lion in there. And the dog goes, roof. <laughs> Listen to it roar, son. I mean, it's like, roof. It barked. It, I'm sure they set the dog down and they said, listen, dog, we need you to be a lion. We need you to roar. We need you to act vicious. We, we need you to attack people. And he said, roof. Why? Because he wasn't really a lion. I mean, that lion gig lasted for a little while. There were hundreds of people who had seen the lion that day and didn't call it out. But eventually, the lion barked. Because what's on the inside is always going to come out on the outside, no matter what it's labeled as. Listen to me, if you're not really a Christian, if you don't know Jesus, can I tell you you're eventually going to bark? I don't know what's going on in your life, but eventually your family's going to notice that your Christian life just doesn't seem to be Christian. Your friends are going to notice. Your church members are going to notice. You're going to notice that the fruit of your life is always revealing the truth to you and those around you. The fruit reveals the truth. And listen, it'll be revealed in your attitudes. It'll be revealed in your actions. It'll be revealed in your desires and your focus and your heart and your fears and in your faith. I mean, if you love Jesus, you'll love the things he loves. You'll hate the things he hates. And those are dead giveaways. So let me ask you this morning, what kind of fruit are you producing? What would those around you say about your walk with God? What would, what do you, what would those around you say about your faith? What do your internal desires reveal 
about your own salvation. The fruit always reveals the truth. The second thing I'm going to tell you is this. Jesus said the works are not the way. Because here's what happens. When you say, when you say fruit reveals the truth, then a lot of people start thinking, well, I got to work harder for Jesus. I got to do more for Jesus. I got I to spend overtime working for Jesus. Jesus knew that would be our inclination. So there, he knew there would be people at judgment day that when Jesus said, look, depart from me, I never knew you. He knew there were going to be people at judgment day. He said, whoa, Jesus, wait a minute. Have you seen my Christian resume? I can't be cast into hell. I taught Sunday school. I worked with the kids. Bad kids. I got kicked working with the kids, Jesus. And I did the greatest sacrifice a Christian will ever do. I kept the nursery during the preaching hour, Jesus. I have to be saved. Like, Jesus, you, you, you recognize me. I went to church. I got you here, Jesus. Listen, I tithed. When the offering plate passed by, I put my tithe in the offering plate. I went on mission trips. I sang in the choir. I helped the youth. I, I was a deacon. I was a pastor. I invited people to church. Have you seen my resume? And Jesus said, there will be, you'll do many wonders. And this is so sad in Jesus' name. I even tried to do it for the right reason. And so, God, for all the good I've done, you have to let me in. Listen, if works are not the way, you don't get in, no matter how great your works are. God set the way in his word. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Ephesians 2 says, by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works. This anybody brags about how they got to heaven. If works are not the way to heaven, then works will not do you any good to get you into heaven. Jesus paid it all. All to him. Baseball's changed over the last few years, and forgive my sports illustrations, I know sometimes you get tired of them, but I'm a guy, and so a lot of you connect with the Atlanta Braves, but you, you may remember the 1993 season, the Atlanta Braves. I don't know if you remember or not, but it was the San Francisco Giants that we were up against in our division. This was before the wild card uh, uh, games teams were allowed in baseball. As a matter of fact, 1993 in Major League Baseball is what began the formation of the wild card teams and the expanded playoff teams because a disaster happened in 1993. In 1993, Barry Bonds had went to the San Francisco Giants that year, and he'd hit 46 home runs. He was the best player in baseball. I mean, he did a tremendous job. He led, he led them to have a phenomenal record. And on July 22nd, 1993, the San Francisco Giants were 10 games up on the Braves in our division. There are only four divisions in baseball. Only four teams made the playoffs. And so the Braves back then were in the National League West. We were the only team east of the Mississippi in the league. And so we were in the National League West. You had to win the division to get in the playoffs. And in July 22nd, San Francisco was 10 games up with the best player in baseball. The rest of the season, the Giants, Giants went 
uh, 38 and 27, I believe it was, which was a phenomenal record to close out the year. The Giants finished with 103 wins and 59 losses. Now, if you don't know anything about baseball, let me just say, when you get to 100 wins in baseball, that's some serious stuff. That's rare air. That's great, great, great baseball teams. They finished the season with 103 wins. However, the Braves for the second half of the season went 49 and 16. And they won their last game of the season. And San Francisco lost their last game of the season. The Braves beat the Rockies the last game of the season. They went 13-0 against the Rockies that year. And although San Francisco had won 103 games, the Braves won 104 games. San Francisco was the second best team in baseball. The third best team was six games behind them. The only two teams that won over 100 games was the Atlanta Braves and the San Francisco Giants. But in 1993, the only way you got into the playoffs was the one team who won their division. And though San Francisco had the second best record in Major League Baseball, one of the, it, by the way, it still stands, as far as I know, as the best record in baseball not to make the playoffs. 103 games. And they did, they, the next best record was 97 wins. But they didn't get in because the rule was only division winners made it to the playoffs. It didn't matter if you were the second best team. It only mattered... Did you win your division? And I remembered that story this week, and I thought to myself, that's the average person sitting on a pew in a church. Listen, it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how much you've done. It doesn't matter how much you've given, how much you've worked, how much you've attended church. Listen, you may be the best or the second best person in the room. That doesn't matter. Because good works are not the way. And just like the Giants didn't get in the playoffs, you're not getting into heaven because works are not the way. You're here this morning and you've never came to God the way. And you're trying to save yourself some embarrassment by walking an aisle. You're hoping when you get to the end, God will see all the good you've done and let you in anyway. But listen to me, here will be the words you hear, depart from me. Stop trying to work. I'm telling you this because I love you this morning. Stop trying to work your way into heaven. Stop trying to cover up your lack of a relationship with God with all the good works you can do. That will not get you in. Depart from me is what you're here. So then what do we do? Let me end it with this statement. Jesus said this. In the end, number three, you'll need a friend. In the end, You'll need a friend. If you're taking notes, just jot that phrase down and close your Bibles. And I just want to preach to you for four or five minutes and I'm, I'm done. Because notice what Jesus said. You need to, because sometimes this gets glossed over, but it's really the key phrase in all of this. Look at verse number 23. 
Throw, throw verse 23 up on the screen if you can do that, guys. Look, look what he says. Here's the key phrase. And then I will declare to them, listen, I never knew you. Can I say to you this morning that heaven and salvation is all about who you know, not what you know. That in the end, when it comes to your eternal destination, all the stuff you tried to do to be a good person doesn't matter. What does matter is that you know Jesus. What does matter is that you have a relationship with him. All that it takes to know that you're going to heaven is to know the one who paid the price for you to get into heaven. It's not about knowing the facts about Jesus. I'm not asking you if you can pass a Bible test. Right, like, I'm not asking you, can you pass it? How much do you know about Jesus? Let me compare it to what I know about Jesus. No. There's no Bible test in heaven. No Jesus Q&A in heaven. Well, if you, if you don't know the city Jesus was born in, you're not getting in. No. The test is, do you know him as the Lord and Savior of your life? I'm not asking you if you know about him. I'm asking you if you know him. One of the things I've done in my lifetime is I've went through, how many of you know who John Maxwell is? Anybody know who John Maxwell is, leadership? You may not know, John Maxwell is probably the premier authority uh, and has been for, gosh, 20 or more years on leadership in America. He speaks at corporate events. He started off as a pastor. John Maxwell's written all, I don't even know how many books he's written. As far as I know, I've read every book. One of the things I've had the privilege of doing is I went through John Maxwell's leadership program and I'm a John Maxwell certified trainer, speaker, and coach when it comes to leadership. That, I love the uh, subject of leadership. And I started reading my first John Maxwell books back in the early 90s when I first started pastoring, 21 Laws of Leadership, Developing the Leader Within You, Developing the leader, uh, Leaders Around You. The list goes on and on and on. Love John Maxwell. I, I, listen, I've been through his leadership program I've gotten, I've gotten, I'm a certified John Maxwell coach. I've gotten uh, uh, my picture taken with John Maxwell. I have been invited to private events with me and 20 people in a room with John Maxwell. I've been within feet of him. He's hugged me. He even made this video for me. Watch this. Hello, I'm John Maxwell, and I'm excited that you're visiting Joel's website today. As one of my founding partners, Joel has been trained by me and my team. Please be sure to sign up for your free gift. See, I mean, we're, we're tied, right? Like, I ain't made a I even know John Maxwell. John Maxwell always talks about the deacon in his first church named Claude, who was the real leader in the church and how he works. I mean, I know all that stuff. I could pass a test on John Maxwell. Can I tell you this? I don't know John Maxwell. Like, I don't have his cell phone number. He's not my friend. I know people who know him. I could call somebody who could get a hold of John Maxwell today, but I don't know him. He didn't call me on my birthday, and I turned 50 this year. If you're ever going to call some friend, right? 50s, he didn't call, he didn't call me. He didn't call me. Why? Because I know a lot about him, but I don't know him. As a matter of fact, I know as much about him as you can possibly know without knowing him. And listen, some of you here today, and that's the way you are with Jesus. 
You have read his stuff. You have worked in his church. You have given to his cause. You know the facts. You know people who know him. You can sing songs about him. But the truth is, you just don't know him. And in the end, you're going to need a friend in Jesus. And it's time for you to lay aside all pretenses and excuses and trust him today because religious ain't saved. You need a friend in Jesus. And the last thing you need to hear is I never knew you. So I preach this today. Not angry, upset. I preach this because I love you. And if you're here today and the fact is you're thinking in your heart, I may not be saved. Listen to me. I was there. That was me. I was a lost, baptized well, you're not really baptized until after you're saved, but I was a lost dunked in a lake, not a, not a fancy baptistry, a slimy lake. They had to remove the scum off the pond to find some water to get me under, and I came up, and I was full of that green slime out of a pond scum when I came up. I was baptized, dunked, but I was a lost church member. And there was a Sunday when God got a hold of my heart and said everybody else thinks you're saved but you're not and you know it as a matter of fact I, I got with my dad and I said I don't think I'm saved and my dad tried to tell me I was saved he said son you've been saved I was there you back I said no no I am not listen to me I've been where you are I know what you're going through I know how the enemy is attacking you right now I know Listen to me, religious ain't saved. And you can double down and work harder and give more and do more and sacrifice more. Listen, we're all for God's people doing more and working more and sacrificing. We're all for all that, but none of that gets you into heaven. None of it. In the end, you need a friend. And his name's Jesus. And so I'm going to ask you, would you just stand with me all across the room? We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.